Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. You are here with your host, Auntie Vice, and it's great to be back. Happy February. Happy. I am deeply honored to have Mama Vi, Vi Johnson, founder of the Johnson Carter Library, Leather Woman, one of the original Onyx Pearls authors. She she has this phenomenal bio, and I am I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. And everybody talks about you. I've been looking forward to meeting you even this way. So before we delve into all of the the deeply important history stuff, um, I will say I did read the Wikipedia bio. And so there is a burning question (laughs) because your Wikipedia bio starts out that at 17, you claim, as they, they state, that you got to drink vampire blood. So for everybody out there wanting to be an, an outstanding leather woman, is that the secret to becoming an amazing leather woman? Let's just say it helped in my misspent use. It is one of the, uh, thank you for reminding me, I really need to go read that bio. Uh, <laughs> is it factual? Yeah. Was it pretty amazing? Yeah. Was the person I consumed it from an amazing human being? Yes. Uh, was he also a card-carrying pervert? Yes. Um, did it help? Let me think about that. It helped me meet an awful lot of pretty amazing people who were drawn to my hunger. And that may be the best place to leave that right now. That's excellent. So you came into the leather community. You're one of the few people I've had on the show who actually came into the leather community at least 10 years before I did, which is phenomenal. And because I came into it in the late 80s. So how did you like we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have so much of what folks who've discovered kink in the last 15, 20 years have had access to. We didn't have libraries full of books about alternative lifestyle sexuality wasn't a study topic in university so how did you find the leather world well making a very long story very short i got um graduate scholarship to montclair state to keep one person out of the hair of the dean of women dean of students and the president i ended up marrying her she had fantasies that we began to play with and explaining that is a long story. You do not have that much time. She took me from being painfully right-winged to 
becoming interested in chasing that fantasy. Well, at some point in time, we honestly believe that either we were going to hell solo or there had to be other people like us. We went marching down bravely 50 miles, by the way, to an adult bookstore to make sure we weren't in our area. And in this building, which, by the way, still exists, much to my humor, there was a village voice and a screw magazine, newspaper, actually. And in the back of the village voice, you know, we went home with these treasures. It was a one inch by one inch cat that basically said, kinky, masochist, lonely, home too. It listed a location for a meeting. We kind of screwed up our carriage, if you excuse the way that comes out. Went to the meeting, found Eulenspiegel in very early 1975, and walked into the door. Only one person could see us, and that was the man leading the meeting, a man named Jack Jackson. And he said, quote, I'm in Little Sisters, your home, close quote. And we were. And the rest of it is history. You are celebrating 50 years with the same woman that you discovered the Euling Spiegel Society with. That is quite an accomplishment, especially what has been some of the most surprising things you've discovered 50 years with the same person? Discovered that. All of life has ups and downs. The secret of 50 years is not just relishing the happy moments, but trudging through the bad ones until you get to the other side. Life doesn't guarantee us roses, but it does guarantee that if you're holding fast to the person who's next to you, when you fall, they're there to pick you up. When they fall, you're there. And if we both fall together, have fun in the struggle, getting back on your feet, laugh a lot, learn from the pothole you fell into, and keep on going. I grew up in an era, as did Jill, that said, when I say I do, I will. Not I will until it gets rough. Not I will until... I'm bored. Not I will until life throws a curveball. When we said we would, we did. Well, and you're, you guys got together at a time that gay marriage, lesbian marriage was not recognized. In fact, a lot of what you were doing was still very illegal or diagnosable by the DSM. Yes. And I want to talk about that for a little bit because we are in a period where a lot of the young queer youth out there don't realize that there's those of us who've been through this history before. So having lived through a very oppressive time, what would you say to the kids now? Um, advice, I would probably say the same thing to the baby dykes and the little curves and my younger siblings. Relish your freedom. A whole lot of people died to see that you could have it. 
but understand how it happened. Without the understanding, without the history we've talked about, without the awareness of what was spilled to get you there, that freedom is very easy to lose because you will not see the enemy coming. If you know that history, not only will the path be sweeter, but you're more likely to stay on the path because you know what the dog with your heels looks like. You are a history buff. You were a history teacher. You run the, the library and maintain leather history. What was the initial history for you that you were discovering? You see, see that, that's a, not necessarily an easy question because those who are making history don't know they're doing it. They're just living their lives. As I constantly tell people, history is decided not by the present, but by the future. So in um, yakking with Jack Jackson and Pat Bond at Oil and Spiegel, and working in the background as the youngest kinkling and learning my stuff, I didn't know I was making history. When I was laughing with a man named Jim Croft as we were filming Annie Sprinkles, first productions of the Sprinkle Salon. We didn't know we were making history. When we were marching on Washington, we didn't know we were making history. We were making a statement. In hindsight, which is always 2020, you get some inkling of what you've done. If you knew going in, you were trying to make history, you might not have done it. But we learned from mistakes, just like our civil rights counterparts learned from mistakes and were willing to lay an awful lot on the line for what they believed in. Did they know they were making history? No. Did they hope they were making advancements? Yes. But now in the clarity of all of that, the advancements they made are the stones we stand on. And to those youngins, I remind them, they are making history every day. With every movement, with every step forward, with every time they're willing to fight. Kind of like a football team, you're inching that ball forward toward a goal. And just keep doing it. In one of the ways you made history... You were a founding member of the Onyx Pearl. And not all of my listeners know about it. Some of them do. And I have some of uh, the current members out here coming on the show. It, they'll be on in March. So listeners, stay tuned for that episode. But what are the Onyx Pearls? And then why did they need to be started? Back up to the men of Onyx. There have been a number of strides made by people of color, but we didn't always see the things we were doing as more people of color became title holders or found each other. When Jill and I came out, there were only five or six well-known faces who were willing to be out, remembering that what we were doing was a crime. By the 90s, five men in Chicago, were in the Chicago area, decided that they needed to form a group that would make men of color visible 
to other men of color who might have felt too alone to come out. And of course, they call themselves Onyx. But there was a lot of pushback that they, some they realized, some they didn't. Now, fate, as it would have it, the year they came out, Stacy Thomas had been Ms. NLA. Jill had just become the first African-American international Ms. Weather. The year before, I had won the Lifetime Achievement Awards from both Pantheon of Weather and from the National Weather Association. So we were visible faces who were getting asked questions about why do we need a group for men of color? Who do they think they are? And so on. We were privileged to be able to run interference as the club was beginning to grow. And then at some point in time, Jill simply made the stance of, if you've got a problem with those boys, see me first. Which pretty much a lot of that. But as the group grew, and word that there was a group out began to spread, it seemed like those female faces who had a history all ended up running interference for our younger brothers. Lady D in Atlanta, um, Goddess Toko in and Mistress Lash in Chicago. We were the runs who were constantly running interference. Leave the boys alone. Don't, don't, no, they're having a party. It says men of color, you don't get to go in, sorry. But the eight of us all knew each other. And we were constantly, what's going on, who's doing what? The boys, after a year or two, realized that their older sisters were, you know, the defensive team for them. They started calling us the jewels. And then a song came out that was called Black Pearl. And Pearl just stuck. Well, about five years after that, Lady D from Atlanta wanted to try to extend the love the eight of us had into what was basically a sisterhood then. And uh, starting with some of the younger women in Atlanta. And just like the guys called us their pearls, she called them their pearls. And slowly but surely, the idea took off. Some call us the pearls of onyx, some call us the onyx pearls. And the groups that have sprouted up have all come up from the original eight. I love that. One of the things that still floors me is we're still having this conversation in the kink world about spaces that are exclusive based on a gender identity or race or whatever. Uh, you know, we have different divisions where there will always be somebody popping up on social media and going, well, you know, I'm not a, a woman, but I want to be part of this group or I'm not black, but I think I belong there. Why is it so critical for you to have spaces without white folks or maybe without men or without straight folks? My ideas on this are controversial because they're old. So I'm putting that caveat in there. I am over 70. So my perspective is a little different. There are times when they are exclusive. 
because just like a woman who went to a tea party in the 1800s, it was the only time she went without a corset because her sisters didn't care. But if the guys were around, you had to be pretty and you had to print. Bring that same philosophy up to modern day. There are some things that are cultural within sex and gender identity. There are times when you are just more comfortable, when you don't have to put on or pretend. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't want you around. It just means we need our space. And if we are going to allow you in, you're coming in, no harm, no foul, in a secondary role. We're not here to entertain you. We're not here to answer your questions. We aren't even necessarily here to bond with you. We're here to bond with each other. And we've allowed you into this space to see what happens when you're not around. One of the examples that I give when I'm often asked this question, good God, I'm that old. 16 or 17 years ago now, three women got together to form the first ever event for people of color. It was called Black Bee. And there were about 100 people at the first Black Bee. And of course, if you were a person of color, you do a lot of bonding over food. So that first night, we had uh, an incredible dinner served by the hotel. We had all been served, and we all just sat there looking at the food. Nobody picked up a fork to eat. None of us could exactly figure out why until somebody said grace. At which, and that was a cultural issue. At which time, once grace was said, everybody chatted down, the conversations continued. But instinctively, nobody ate. Understanding that particular unspoken cultural nuance was a difference between being having dinner at a Black Beach celebration and having dinner at a club run. Club run comes, they serve at a table, they serve everybody else, your food comes, don't let it get cold. But that subtlety of cultural difference didn't need to be said, it was unspoken. And I say all of that to say, when groups get together amongst themselves, there's already an understanding of expectation, of similarity. That doesn't necessarily mean I don't want somebody else there, but you may not have the understanding of how we as a group will interact. And a lot of that also comes back to give somebody their space. When when Jill, myself, and a few other women in the New York area were first coming out in the 70s, we were in the leather bars. Um, Badlands was our commonplace on Sunday. And we were usually there in the afternoon and the bartenders were loving and friendly, but we slipped off those bar stools around six o'clock. 
as more and more of the guys were coming in, greeting us, yakking with us for a while, but then heading to the back room. It was a kind of understanding that they were sharing their space with us and we had to respect. So they loved us, they taught us, but hey, you know, it's their space, time to go. I believe even now it is the same. For God's sakes, as much as I enjoy Latin music and culture, I don't speak Spanish. So when it comes, when more and more of the conversation is going Spanish instead of English, it's time for me to love up, get a few hugs, few kisses, and get my ass out of that space. I no longer belong there. It doesn't mean I'm not loved or needed or welcomed. It just means there's a time and place where I just don't belong. For me, I have a very similar approach for that. And a lot of the understanding of that also came from the understanding of roles in DS and leather and how much of your leather identity and understanding of, you know, the norms and the roles and all of that bleed over into other aspects of your life and, and kind of, for lack of a better term, knowing your place when you're Time to be there and time to step back. Funny as this sounds, Auntie Vice, it's actually the other way around. I grew up in an era where children were seen and not heard. You know, there is a time for the kids to be in the house. There's a time for the kids to, you know, keep their ears open. And there's a time when your elders said, why are you in here? Go outside and play. Some of that for my generation, it's just manners. Things as simple as if you're invited into a conversation, don't take it over. You've been invited into it. Be a part of it. Don't interrupt somebody while they're talking. Don't pick up something that isn't yours. Um, nobody wants to hear your voice over someone else's. You're part of it. Not there to take it over. Those were some of the manners that you learned were as a kid. Now, bring that into our world. Don't pick up something that isn't yours. That includes the toy, whether the toy be leather or have two legs. Ask first. It's not yours. Don't raise your voice over a conversation. There are many other conversations going on in the dungeon. Blend into it. Don't try to take it over. The respect for age that was so common in my generation. If Judy Tolan and I are born on the same day, Judy swears I was her birthday present. If Judy walks into a room and I'm sitting, I'm getting up. That woman is my elder. When I was a cakeling and insaning, the book that we were required to carry was 1923, Emily Post. 80% of everything we needed to know was just good manners and good etiquette. It still carries over, or at least it does to me. I love etiquette manuals. And when I look at things like formal tea ceremonies and a lot of the hosting events, it really is traditional 
etiquette is what we're teaching each other. Yes. And I love that. You talk about a lot about your sisters and family. Let's talk about chosen family. When did you start choosing your family? First one that I chose or chose me, depending on who's telling the tale. <laughs> now, remember I said I grew up horribly right-winged, painfully straight. I was a debutante. I was a Republican. There's recovery groups for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I sang with up with people. And then I fell in love. I didn't know how to deal with it. Because I was engaged to marry my childhood sweetheart at the time. We're running home to mom. Explain the problem. She didn't know why I had a problem. Which is an interesting perspective. Um, and her reaction was love is like the brass ring on a merry-go-round. You take it when it comes because it may not come back again. When do I get to meet her. It was just that simple. We chose each other. And mom had taught me that the family you're born into is your practice. Just start a family for the rest of life to go out and make good choices about those you choose to call truth. And it, it just grew. And that's the easiest way to explain it. Those who loved and we loved just sort of group. Like finds like. And good acquaintances grew into friendships. Some of those friendships grew into something much, much more. So when did you become Mama Vi? Oh, good Lord. We're, we're backing up 25 years, 26 years. Um, Jill and I are founding members, charter members, technically, of a group called TULSA, the Tulsa Uniform Leather Seekers Association, and coming into Oklahoma as a leather woman, a young leather woman, we were about 20 years into our journey, um, was unusual because... The two major cities, Tulsa and Oklahoma City, were predominantly male, but had a fairly active community until aid struck the Midwest, which was just before we had to move, corporate move for Jill's job. As the community was rebuilding itself, there weren't a lot of the elders left, teachers. Because I did, we weren't elders. Most had either died or taken their toys and gone home from fright. As that community rebuilt itself, the Tulsa half kind of rebuilt itself in our living room. I had the advantage of traveling because while my mate and I were in Oklahoma, I both worked and served in Southern California. So I was constantly back and forth. Sometimes I flew. Most of the time I drove because I like to drive. It gave me a freedom to get things that also wouldn't normally have gotten. The newest magazines, the newest newsletters, 
newspapers, programs from events, and bring them back to this young community. Well, the community grew and grew. And like most families, whether you set out to become the mom, and yes, they do call Jill dad when she was far enough away that she couldn't throw something and hit them. It was sort of unspoken. And one day I'm uh, emceeing a program. Uh, one of the Mr. Oklahomas, actually. I have to think about that for a minute. And in a break, a young man came up with a full bouquet of roses. And the community stood up and they said, you're our leather mom. And from that point on, they started calling me Mama Vi, and it stuck. So now, what? Now you've been called Mama Vi, you've been called Grandmama Vi, Gigi. What does that mean for your identity? Oh, God. Okay, guys, I could go everywhere. It means pride. It means. This is going to sound a little funny, but it means relief to some extent. It means relishing the achievements of the generation that has come after you. It means, this is going to take a minute, when two of the three men who were Jules and our big brothers and mentors through our New York phase, ultimately moved to Chicago. The slave of the two who had been mentored to me said, you owe me. When you have done for someone else what I've done, what you think I have done for you, your debt to me is paid. Now, I think I'm about halfway through the interest on that debt. But watching this new generation, these new generations, has both a mother and now a grandmother allows me to take some of the interest off that debt. Because in watching the generations come after me, it guarantees that everything they shared continues. Yes, it continues within the generation. Yes, it does not look the way I did it. It's not supposed to. If Jerry, my mentor, Tom, the other partner was Jill's. If Jerry gave to me the best that he had, it was my job to take what worked, leave what didn't, and to that body of knowledge and pass it on. Their job as my children was to add to that body of knowledge, leave what didn't work, and pass it on again. The body of knowledge keeps getting bigger. Those things that no longer have a place are put in the basket of history. Now, that doesn't mean they may not come back up again. It's kind of like teaching a kid to drive in my generation where we learned hands on the wheel 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Well, if we stayed with that, now the cars have airbags. Your hand's in that position, you could break a bone. So now, Kids are driving in a different position because it's evolved. That doesn't mean you shouldn't know 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock just in case. 
but it's no longer relevant. It flipped in the basket of history. You add something new and roll on. And now, as a brand new generation is coming out, and the library is just filled with 20-somethings, and it makes my heart sick. They're looking at things I couldn't even have imagined that are kinky to them, and they're bringing them to the library. They're learning about the past, but they keep feeding for the future. That's the way it's supposed to be. If Tom and Jerry could come back now and look at these kids, they'd probably go, kids, what are you going to do with them? They laugh behind the hand. But of course, we still up it with it. But that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to look exactly like it did when I came. It's supposed to be new and fresh and appropriate for this generation. And now as a great grandmother, I get to tell them the stories of the past, bring to them things I think they might be able to use. But it's not a one-way relationship. I'm constantly reminding them their job, their payoff for what I'm giving them is to teach me about that world. Some of it I am never going to understand. Some of it I will. Some of it's a little iffy. And to be able to help them do whatever it is they tell me they need to keep moving forward. And if that's not fine in your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, I don't know what it is. That is a perfect transition to the Carter Johnson Library. (laughs) Speaking of basket of history, so let's talk a little bit about it. You found it in 2005. So for our listeners who are not familiar, what is the Carter Johnson Library? Well, see what had happened was all of those things that I was telling you I was bringing back from my club brothers in the 80s kept accumulating. Did I mention accumulating? And uh, it got to the point where those six or seven baskets of things that Jill and I kind of moved around with were now like 15 or 20. And some of the local groups said, well, We'd love to see, can you bring some of that to our club meeting? Sure. So I'd pack it all up, throw it in the back of my car, set it up, etc. That led to me doing a presentation at events called Leather History Show and Tell. An old-fashioned, just like early elementary school, where you have something, you tell a story, and you're passing it around. Well, I was passing a whole lot of things around. And by the fourth or fifth year that I did it, and I realized I had an awful lot of people coming back to me afterwards asking about something that I had said, I realized you're not going to hear 80% of what I said because your nose is going to be down reading or looking at something that's being passed around to you. 2002, I think, a man who had been in my class came up to me and said, I've taken this class five different times. I've never seen the same thing twice. How much of this do you own? Well, I I, kind of had to think about that because there were boxes hidden behind the sofa. There were boxes hidden in the dining room. There were boxes hidden in my closet. There were boxes hidden in Jill's closet and so on and so forth. 
And uh, he said, would you pack it all up and bring it to an event? My wife and I. The event was called Together in Luther. And it was the first time I dug it out of every hiding place. Realized it wouldn't fit in my car. Had to go rent a van. And took it all down to South Carolina and set it all up. I, admittedly, I was kind of surprised by how much of it there was. Two years later, I was on eBay and I was looking what very early days of eBay. I was looking for a book, won the book, found out that the person I was bidding against also wanted the book. I thought he was a book collector. As it turned out, he was a book burner. Uh, lost my, there were some things I can't say on the air. And uh, about five or six weeks later, was in Atlanta for an event. And a young man came up to me and said, Miss Johnson, may I talk to you? And I was so surprised because I had never been called Miss Johnson. There had been a book burning in front of his store and he wanted some advice. We finished the conversation. I went up to my hotel room, had a screaming match with God, and vowed that day that if I had to beg it, steal it, borrow it, not pay a bill to get it, I was going after it because you don't burn my kids' history. What had been my hobby for the previous almost 15 years became my obsession that day. I can say that day, it, it was no longer that crazy thing grandma did. It became a library that day. And while I use the term library on device, the, the reality is it's a sacred story circle. It is the stories of those who have come before us. And it is ever-growing as we snatch things from garbage piles saving the memories of those who have come before us that their families would never understand or snatch it out of the hands of the Christian right so that there's a place to find it. It's growing. It's growing more from, it's growing past pink, which is where it started because Carter Johnson is kinky. And that includes a number of things most people might not think of as leather. But as the community buys in and it's becoming more of a community place, we've added gardens. We've added a second building just for the collection we got from the Center for Sex and Culture. And it's becoming a place where the community is now leaving rocks to celebrate events, which is a big thing for us. It's become its own block. There are seven houses out of 13 on one block who are all family. We've done some art projects in the neighborhood. We have spruced the neighborhood. You can find an awful lot of us in safe places. Because once you hit our street, ain't nobody going to mess with you. And who could ask for more than Book burnings are, are not new, but it's ramping up. And... The right is trying to silence our stories and mm -hmm. remove our stories, uh, especially from the kids coming up. Uh, 
connecting with with your community through paperback, you know, paperback mentors. We've all had them, you know, and you you read and they become yours. How do we make this accessible to kids when they they need it? By kids, I mean like late teens, early twenties, you know, kids. not well, not like little, little kids. I'm over seventy. You're a kid. Um, one of the things that people are just beginning to discover is that the library has seven different annexes. Uh, one of my brothers said, the reason you have annexes is so Jill doesn't know how much of this you own. That is partially true. But the rest of it is because history needs to be accessible. But a wise man, a wise farmer, will never put all his eggs in one basket. And so part of it is building these little nests of history, these little nests of safety. Wherever people are crazy enough to believe in the old woman's dream, as well as having an understanding, in my view, of what's coming. As I find myself getting older and not giving a flying, so I'm far less comfortable uh, with, I'm less likely, I should say, to hold my words. And you do not want to get into what I think book burners, you'll get thrown off the air. I find that the scope of the library is beginning to broaden. I find that I'm deliberately acquiring more books on gender, more books that are books that have been burned, more books that have been banned. To the point where I want the library that would make Magnus Hirschfeld proud. And for those who don't know who that is, look up the name. I believe we need libraries of banned books. But not just so that our kids can access them, but so that they are safe within them. A philosopher, German philosopher, 100 years before Hitler, named Heinrich Heine, said he who burns a book must ultimately burn the writer. It's not the book that's dangerous, it's the idea. And protecting the book is one thing. Protecting the writer and the reader is quickly becoming the scope of the library, hence the reason for the garden. And all of us in one place. Does the library need money? Desperately. Do I want the lot that's directly across the street? Because if money were no object, what the library would look like would be a Roman villa with lots of rooms and lots of spaces and lots of gardens and a safety net where everyone would be so that the old lady doesn't have to worry. Because it's not the that's a lie. The idea worries me. The safety of my next generation worries me even more. And as I watch that seed that I planted take root in an understanding of the value of history and knowing who you are, the value of those safe places is also beginning to take root. I have friends around the country who are saying, no, my house is harbor, or I just bought a few acres of land. I can put some tents up if I need to. 
that has to run through this community and I'm screaming it whether I have the money to do it or not. Uh, like I said, would I like so would I love some professional with a company to come and back the library or some university that's got far more clout and money than I ever will to come and back the library or some celebrity may see you to go, hmm, I think I want to take that on. But what we're trying to do now has far outgrown any fantasy I could have because it's about more than just leather. It's about more than just kink. It's about the freedom to make choice. I am not going to tell you a choice to make. That's not my right. But I am going to provide you with all of the facts to make an informed choice. And if that means saving the color purple in Fahrenheit 51 and mine pops. I wouldn't wipe my ass with mine pops. I wouldn't let you burn it either. Then that means we need the buildings and the places to guarantee those freedoms. And let me slide off that soapbox before it gets even bigger. Sorry about burning your ears on that one. Oh, not at all. I am a huge library fan. I worked for the State Library of California for a very long time. And one of my favorites was when we would do our quarterly all-staff meetings is the State Librarian would bring out some of the treasures of the State Library. And yeah, librarians are some of my favorite people. I mean, and I never thought we'd get to a point where... We have librarians in danger, but we do. Librarians are being threatened and fired and docked and jailed. And exactly. Jailed. Because they provide safe space, because they maintain history and knowledge. And it's so quintessential to a thriving society to have access to all of that, which is why I love what you do. I want to interrupt you for a minute because it's time for us to take a giant step sideways. In also when I went back, and Jill and I were part of the early Pulse Organization for Human Rights. We managed to have a pride picnic so far back in the park you needed a homing pigeon and a guide dog. Now, the Tulsa Gay and Lesbian Center is the seventh largest in the world. They are that size because they are privately funded. They will not take a dime of government money because they will not be told what to do. They won't be dictated to. The public library, which was our haven growing up, is no longer safe. Neither are our librarians because they are government funded. It is time I believe, my opinion only, we take a giant step backwards and do for self. We have to back up to look to the future. We must guarantee the safety of our next generation. We have to guarantee their minds. We have to make sure that they make, they have the information to make good choices. We can no longer rely on sources outside of ourselves. We have to create the libraries. We have to create the safe spaces. 
That way, when somebody comes in to try and kick it down, you know what lows in the middle. It gives us, as a people, the right to control and keep safe our ideas, our own values, and keep them away from the people who would very deliberately send them up in flames. It's time for us to make those libraries. It's time for us to support those writers. And most importantly, it's time for us to shelter our own. This is a perfect segue for all of the listeners who are going, yes, I completely agree with you. Where do I send my money? Where do they send their money? <laughs> the library has a website. We are both leatherlibrary.org and carterjohnsonlibrary.org. You want to support us? Buy some merch. You want to give us a direct donation? It is info at leatherlibrary.org on PayPal. There's even a link on our website. Would I love to see half of this country wearing Carter Johnson Library merch? Yes. Because of our logo, we change it constantly. We change the heart that's in the book constantly. Sometimes it supports our older AIDS men and women. Sometimes it supports our transgender siblings. Sometimes it supports the pub community. The heart changes its colors to support the groups we love. So would I love to see all our transgender siblings with a Carter Johnson t-shirt with the trans colors? Yes. Would I love to see our pups with a Carter Johnson with a pup mask in it? Yes. It's time. I'm not saying that the library is the banner of solidarity that we all need to gather under. But we need to step out around our anonymity and understand what one great philosopher said, which is either we hang together or we all hang separately. So help me buy into that dream, create one, and let the library help you. I really don't care. Do I want your money? Yes. Do I want your time? Yes. Do I want you reaching out to the person next to you and going, you're safe over here? Yeah. Listeners, we will definitely have those links so that you can go, you can get your merch, you can support them. You also have a list of items that you are specifically looking for. A lot of them are older flyers, books, and all of that that you're looking to acquire. So that's another way listeners can support you. When you don't want it anymore or don't need it anymore, send it to us. We will see that it gets rehomed. One of our annexes very specifically rehomes old leather. It's expensive. Isharis, who also does our website, is a boot black. She will repolish that and give it to a next gen who can't afford it. When you no longer need those club flyers and books because, my God, it's taking up your closet, you don't know what to do with it, send it. Now, if you want to send a check with it, so much the better. But that's okay. I've got seven annexes, so I've got 700 hungry kids to feed. And evidently, I'm pregnant with two more annexes because we're talking to uh, Vancouver. Nice. And we're also working on bringing another annex to the East Coast. 
So we are putting these baskets out all over the country. And assuming we don't get banned in Canada again, I am banned in Canada. I'm actually quite proud of that. We're going to get manics up there too. We have two in Costa Rica. So I'm very grateful for the work you've done. I have been an admirer for years. Thank you for being on the show. If people want to find Carter Johnson Library, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to send money, plug everything one more time and we'll make sure our listeners get get to you what they can get to you. Okay, first, young lady, when are you coming to visit? That's first. I am, I'm, go, I'm in Chicago in May this year, so I will be there. They can join us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group as well as a Facebook page. They can join us on FET should they want to do that. They can join us by going through the library's webpage, leaving a note that says, Mom, I'm going to be in the area and I want to see. Or they can actually just drive on up. And uh, if I find them walking in the celebration garden, it's like, kid, have you eaten? Come on. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, they can find us through PayPal. If you shout loud enough on Facebook, somebody will find me. Really, it's just that easy. And listeners will have all those links and more. Check out the library, fund the library. They're they're an amazing source. They have been. If you have things you, that are kink, leather, sexuality that you no longer need, contact them and see if they want them. They're wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show, Mama Vi. It was a delight to meet you, Auntie Vice. I'm waiting for you. Come on down. And now, a moment of gratitude. Without getting religious, I am grateful for each day to be able to continue this. I am grateful for the ability to have a voice old enough to be listened to. I am grateful for those next gens who need a grandparent who want to learn and having been given enough wisdom by the universe to know that they want to be talked to, not down to. And having a voice that they're comfortable enough to listen to. I am grateful for the three men who saw Jill and me when we were shaking like leaves in the wind, wondering whether or not you're the only ones doing this. Who said, come in, little sisters, your home. I am grateful for putting my hand against a stone wall in a bar in New York and feeling all those who had walked before me and promising that I wouldn't drop the ball. But most importantly, I am grateful for those who have picked up that football from me. I am old and I am tired. Who 
Hello, everybody. My name is Nika Sherell, and I am here to tell you about the next IISE Global Summit. The International Institute for Sexual Empowerment is dedicated to creating brave spaces where all people feel safe to talk about sex. We are thrilled to announce the much-anticipated third annual IISE Global Summit, taking place this February 3rd through the 10th. This year's theme is Reclaiming Sexuality, and this summit is for everyday people. A live, online, groundbreaking event that offers a unique and inclusive platform to discover your own journey with sexuality. This is a journey of transformation. We will begin by looking at how the world views sex and our relationship to our own sexuality. Middle of the week focuses on healing trauma and overcoming prejudice, and the week will end by creating intimacy and empowering relationships. This allows us to move forward in our lives with aliveness and celebration. With 25 speakers from over 12 different countries, we will delve into the most pressing issues, advancements, and breakthroughs in the realm of sexuality, education, and health. Learn more at sexhealthsummit.com and get your tickets today. Again, that's sexhealthsummit.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.